Steve the Cookout Coach, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. You're listening to KCBS. All the barbecue hits, all the time. All the time. Or mostly on time. And it's time for a KCBS weather break. It's currently 62 degrees outside. Uh, wait, uh, it might be 72 degrees. We're not exactly sure. Uh, let me check. Ah, shit. We have no idea. So let's split the difference and go with 67. Yes, it's definitely 67 at KCBS. Uh, we think. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How's it going? You have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what? What? What seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet wiener. Oh, listen, Laburnius. Shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. <laughs> top men. And just like that, we are into the second hour of Barbecue Central Show, where we talk about the most important items of barbecue and grilling that are happening this day and age. The show coming to you live and direct initially every Tuesday from 9 to 11. From the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, we know it as Bomb City, USA. Bomb City, USA. That's right. Cleveland. If you missed the first hour, shame on you. You missed a origin story with one Robert Moss, a new inductee to the 2023 Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame class. Still to come on the show this evening. In about 12 minutes from now, Ryan... Pardon me. Just had a cat jump down my throat. Not literally a cat. Ryan Zaboro from Pits and Spits is going to be joining us. And Heath Riles of Heath Riles Barbecue will close out the show this evening. We say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of the video streaming platforms. You can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. You can also watch through YouTube if you would care to. YouTube.com slash at BBQ Central Show. We also have a YouTube poll question of the week. And we will get you the update, and I'm asking everybody this. Even if money wasn't a factor, you prefer prime over Wagyu beef, yes or no? And currently 53% of you are saying no. You want the Wagyu. You want the main meat. We're not talking A5. Maybe that's the question for next week. Would you, If money's no object, you prefer A5 over Wagyu. But 53%, oh, just changed. 53% of you now are saying you prefer Wagyu over Prime, even if money wasn't a factor. I prefer Prime. Robert Moss prefers Prime. We're in the 47% right now, but 53% taking it with the nose. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less this coming Friday, we bring you to episode 308. We're taking you all the way back to November 17th of 2009. That's 15 years ago almost, for crying out loud. Let's call it 14 years ago 
almost to the day. Will it be to the day? Tomorrow's the 15th. 16. So, 14 years ago to the day, you will have heard, perhaps, or maybe you remember, a guest by the name of Julie Reinhardt of She Smoke fame. If you're a long, long-time listener of the show, that might ring a bell as far as name is concerned. Julie Reinhardt made a few appearances on the show back in the day. She and her husband owned a barbecue restaurant out in the Pacific Northwest. I don't remember if it was Oregon. I think it was Washington State. My memory serves me correctly, which it probably doesn't as we're live here on the show. She also wrote a book entitled She Smoke, which went on to rave reviews from all the Live Fire fans out there. And in this segment, we talk about turkey preparation and turkey cooking, not in the oven. And since we're getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving, in fact, we are just a bit over a week away from Thanksgiving. This is going to be some great info for you to take in on Friday if you're looking for some inspiration or if you're looking for some new thoughts these aren't technically new thoughts since they're coming in from 2009 but if you're just new to the live fire game or scene you're just strolling across twitch tonight looking for online gamers and instead you found me talking behind the or in front of the great city of cleveland ohio's backdrop and you're now fancying yourself a live fire cook but you don't know how to do turkey the episode with Julie Reinhardt coming up on Friday is one you definitely want to check out. So be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed because that's the only way you can get best moments or replays for that matter of the show. You can subscribe by going to the BBQ Central Show.com slash subscribe. You can do it a host of different ways. You can even do it by email. If you don't want to use a podcast app, if you want to refuse technology almost to the fullest extent of the law, but you think email's all right, you can subscribe to the feed through email and it'll get delivered to your inbox. As soon as the feed updates at some point later on, you'll get an email that says, here's the newest episode of the Barbecue Central Show. So you don't even have to think about it. Don't forget, if you want to hear a guest or segment again that you think's been lost in the archives of the show, which are now extensive you can email our, pan, uh, our pal John Solberg, J-O-N, at thebbqcentralshow.com. Once again, it's J-O-N at thebbqcentralshow.com. Let him know what you would like to hear as far as a show topic or a guest, and he'll do his best to meet your expectation. It was the YouTube poll question of the week last week. And if I remember correctly, which again, I probably won't because we're live in show. I was asking you if you would try the Travis Kelsey line of barbecue meals being sold exclusively at Walmart. I believe at the end it was no. Nobody was in on that. Rod Gray was completely off on it. I thought he was between Rod or Travis. I thought Travis was definitely a no. I thought Rod was a little bit on the potential waiver because he's a Chiefs fan, but equivocally and quickly, he said no, he would not try it. But this was the story as it was released a couple days before the show on Tuesday last week from Fox, the numeral 4KC.com. From Kansas City, Missouri, by the way. Kansas City known for its delicious barbecue, and now 
a popular Chiefs player is taking his own twist on it. Travis Kelsey making his way into the barbecue industry with a assortment of refrigerated entrees. Matt Osmond is right, by the way. He's saying, I asked if people would take the Jason Kelsey. In my defense, Matt, super fan, you know I made the correction, by the way. I don't know why I said Jason Kelsey last week. I was writing the question down on the outline. and It must mean I just have more of a kinship to Jason than I do Travis. Although, comparatively in the look scale, I'm definitely more of a Travis looker than I am a Jay. Anyway, Travis Kelsey making his way into the barbecue industry with a new assortment of refrigerated entrees. Walmart is now carrying Travis Kelsey's new line of refrigerated barbecue goods all sold under the brand name Travis Kelsey's Kitchen. The meals now available exclusively at Walmart. This guy, business keen, business savvy, sharp like a knife. Features seven different meal options that take a Casey-style approach to dinner. Here's a list of the entrees in case you haven't seen all the news articles that were written about. Bacon, mac and cheese. A dish featuring jumbo macaroni noodles and a cheddar cheese sauce with pieces of bacon sprinkled throughout. Hypothetically, sounds really good. Then you have brisket, burnt ends, and barbecue sauce. No shocker here. KC, known for the burnt ends. Burnt ends been widely popular over all the years I've covered this industry. So you get the taste of burnt ends, described as smoky and caramelized. Next entree, brisket burnt ends with mac and cheese. Not a shock there either. Sliced brisket and barbecue sauce. Oh, we're getting a little weird. I, I only hope that the sliced brisket and barbecue sauce, it's sauce on side. It's not all mixed in and then vacuum packed, frozen, where I have to reheat it with the sauce on it. I always prefer to have my brisket sauce on side. Then you have barbecue baked beans with sausage. You have a completely non-barbecue dish. Sausage and meatball marinara with peppers and onions. Shout out to the Italians in the group. And then to culminate all of these meals, the barbecue baked beans with burnt ends. I've made... Baked beans, barbecue pit beans, whatever the hell you want to call them, for decades. And I always find that either a huge heavy hand of pulled pork goes really well in there or leftover burn ends or leftover slices of brisket, especially if you jacked your brisket and it sucks. It does go really well in baked beans. So that's a, it's almost like a Brunswick stew of sorts, except it's baked beans and not Brunswick stew. So who's going to be the first to run on down to your local Walmart, peruse the freezer, because I can't imagine they're in the fresh section or refrigerated section. Did it say? Oh, these are refrigerated entrees. So that makes me now wonder even more. It can't be sauce on the sliced brisket refrigerated, right? It's got to be sauce on side. Let's hope for sauce on side. So who's going to be the first to race over to their local Walmart superstore 
and pick up a Travis Kelsey entree and then send in a review on the show. If you do all of them, you can get a segment on the show. How about that? Eat all the Jason Kelsey's Travis. <laughs> you see, I did it again, Matt. I must really secretly have love for tra- uh, for Jason Kelsey because it's not Jason, it's Travis. First person to go out and eat all of the Travis Kelsey's kitchen barbecue meals, you get a segment on the show. We'll do a review. In fact, you let me know well in advance. I'll get them all too. And we can have a back and forth. Sounds like a great idea. All right, Ryan from Pits and Spits is ready to go in the green room. Before we get to him, I'll talk to you about Big Papa Smokers. Listen up, gang. Our friends at Big Papa Smokers have something special just for you, listeners of the show. Whether you're a seasoned pit master or a grilling newbie, Big Papa Smokers, your one-stop online shop for all things barbecue from their championship rubs, mouth-watering sauces, essential accessories. They've got what you need to take your food to the next level. Doesn't matter if you're on the competition trail or in your own backyard. Great times for both. Here's the cherry on top. Big Papa Smokers is offering the listeners of the Barbecue Central Show an exclusive deal. Use promo code REMPE, R-E-M-P-E, at checkout, and you get $10 off your next $50 purchase of rubs, sauces, or essential accessories. Imagine the possibilities. Evaluate your ribs with Big Papa's Sweet Money, or add Big Papa's Desert Gold on top of your chicken, or better yet, pick up Big Papa's Double Secret and put it on your steak. Head on over to BigPapaSmokers.com and start shopping and saving today. And don't forget to use promo code REMPE, R-E-M-P-E, at checkout to claim your $10 off your next order of $50 or more. We love free on this show. Don't forget to check out Big Papa's full line of recipes at CookingWithBigPapa.com. And of course, make sure you're following them on all kinds of social media. Ryan Zaborl up next. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by PitBarrelCooker.com, the most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in three sizes with a host of accessories if you're into the barrel cooker scene. doesn't matter if you're a beginner or professional. It's a cooker you want to add to the arsenal. Regardless, PitBarrelCooker.com. And they do have the PBX deal going on as well. Just mention that. You heard it on the show, and they'll give you the PBX deal. If you mention it, they'll know, they'll know what you're talking about. My first guest in the second hour manufactures some of the best offset pit, pellet smokers, charcoal grills, and other live fire products available in the market today. They have been a loyal sponsor all year long, which we certainly appreciate. Ryan Zborrell from Pits and Spits joining the show. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Greg. We have a YouTube poll question of the week that supersedes any other business and live fire stuff that we're talking about here. And we're asking all guests and everybody watching on YouTube. And it's this, even if money was not a factor, you prefer prime beef over Wagyu beef. Yes or no. 
Yes. Yes. Right. Well, it seems the guests and your host tonight are airing on the minority side where 47% of us are saying that even if money wasn't a factor, we do prefer prime over Wagyu beef. But 53% of people are saying, no, doesn't matter. We want the best grades possible. You know, it's not that I'm a meat snob by any stretch, and I've had all the ranges of beef. But for me, prime seems to hit just the very best flavor profiles and mouthfeels and unctuousness. And sometimes, mm-hmm. depending on what what brand of uh, Wagyu you're getting, it can be a little over the top. I'm not talking like A5 over the top where you have five or six slices and you're like, okay, that's it. But uh, even the Wagyu can become a little toothy. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I think it's one of those that it has its place, but it's almost a, uh, I don't even want to say that Prime is less, but it's like, uh, less is more like kind of yeah. a, like very, very good is almost the enemy of perfect in that scenario, right? It's like, I get it. I get it that Wagyu is technically better, but that doesn't mean I want to eat a, you know, 12 ounce mm. Wagyu ribeye, right? And like, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna treat myself to a nice steak, like I, I kind of want a lot of it. Yeah, you know. And I, I don't want that. I just don't want that overly, uh, overly richness, right? I mean, it's kind of like a dessert, right? Kind of like one of those death by chocolate type desserts mm-hmm. where it's, it's great for the first couple of bites, but if I'm gonna get a giant piece, I want to eat as much of it as I can without feeling sick. Yeah, that's why I think I like apple pie or something a little lighter on the desserts. I'm not mm-hmm. really much of a sweet guy anyway, but uh, alright, so we agree on the steak, which is great. Like-minded individuals sticking together. So let's start with some business talk here tonight, Ryan. We're getting close to the end of 2023. If you look back from January to you know where we're sitting at almost closing out the year, how does this year end up for you, especially compared to the last couple I think this year um, ends up on a positive note. I think for us, going into it, we expected uh, a year very similar, very similar to kind of the last three quarters of last year. I think twenty two was a big wake up call. That was kind of the inventory reckoning, reckoning of the the industry, and uh, it allowed us to kind of reset and say, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna get back to running lean," and it's really a uh, a reset back to where the industry and business used to be. I mean, you got to try and sell now. You got to have a marketing plan. You got to talk to dealers. You got to answer the phone with customers when customers call. You got to try and engage people. It's it's no longer kind of the, the 2020, 2021. Look, guys are calling around. If they can find a grill, they're buying it. Or, you know, dealers coming out of the woodwork that you've never heard of before. Hey, man, we just need some 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 stocks some inventory it's 100% back to like the brands have to <laughs> sell and actually be a brand so it's amazing that you're talking about this because i just had a day job sales meeting a couple days ago where we've been under this uh, what they call dealer allotment so i'm capped at how many trucks i could sell during the course of a year for the last couple of years and all of a sudden, those restrictions really start to feel like they're going to be falling off. Peterbilt doesn't want to say it, but we all kind of know it. And we're being told how we should just uh, act as there is no allotment. Go back out. Is it? It's easy to talk about, but ha- was it hard to say, yeah, you know, 
we do have to do that. And it was, it's real easy to, to sit on the fat cat side of things. And then when you got to go back out and be aggressive again, it might take a little bit more to get motivated to want to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's humbling is, is the thing, right? Is that you, you want to believe that you are that good or that you <laughs> have that much momentum or that people, that many people know about you, or you've kind of penetrated the market and to kind of look at yourself and say, look, man, like right or wrong, you got to get back to basics and just do the basic stuff right um, to make it work for everybody. And so it's, uh, I feel like we adjusted to that pretty early on, but there's always that party you holding that hope that like, oh man, like maybe, maybe this is next quarter. It's going to become easy again, or it, it's maybe next year, next month. Mm. And, uh, you eventually, I think really kind of towards the back half of this year, we really just said, look, man, like easy's done. And so it's, it's back to really kind of focusing on the model, focusing on what works, what makes financial sense, right? It's kind of, you can be aggressive in certain spots, but you can't be lazy. When you look back over the results that we were talking about for this year, was there anything that stuck out as being surprisingly good or surprisingly bad? Um, I think on the surprisingly good side, we saw really, uh, really positive reception with, uh, some of our charcoal grills and some of our, some of the influencer initiatives we ran there. I mean, that was, that was really neat to see. Um, and you know, our, our stainless line continues to be really strong and just to see that do well in the coastal areas, which makes a lot of sense for us considering we are a coastal state. Um, mm. so all those were all positive. I think, uh, from a, a bit of a surprising side, we, we saw some of our lower priced items like our 850, kind of our $2,000, what we call kind of entry level, uh, grill line or, or Pelligrill segment kind of lagged. Mm. And I think that's just a, I think that's just a function of the economy, inflation, kind of all the, the headwind type stuff that you hear in the news. Um, and and it, re it really makes sense to me also, when you start looking at a grill, you could pay 2150 or you could, you know, pay 2700 and you're going to get something that's, you know, almost 50% larger and uh, about the same footprint. So it, 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 it does make sense. But I think that you you do kind of start to to separate yourself from the more commoditized uh, grills out there. How are you gearing up for the first half of 2024? We are just kind of sticking to the playbook. Um, we we think that uh, kind of our 1250 is going to continue to be kind of be our be our you know cleanup hitter in the lineup. Um, we're going to keep pushing our charcoal grills, like I mentioned. Um, also with the stainless and then we are, I know I mentioned this last time I was on the show, we have finally have kind of a, have a path to market with our, uh, built in pellet grill, which we expect to be out, um, in the, the, uh, first quarter next year. And then we also have a gas griddle slash grill kind of flat top combo product. Um, that's going to be our first real venture into the gas market, um, of any, uh, you know, significant effort in probably 10 years. Um, and so I, I think that's going to, those are going to help us diversify, help us kind of fill out uh, the portfolio and then also give us a chance at some, some repeat customers. Right. I mean, I think uh, people might not expect it, but we actually do have quite a few repeat customers. And I think that uh, 
if someone's building a house or they're moving or they're interested in that Blackstone or they're interested in some some type of flat top or gas grill type product, um, I think they're going to give us a look at that. And it's going to be full stainless, you know, high, kind of in the higher end of the market um, where we don't see a lot of action. So that's kind of our plan is to do what we do well, but then also try and fill in spots in the market where we see holes or where we think we can have a nice fit and kind of not have a ton of commoditized competition. Did you have a gas grill out 10 years ago? Years ago, not not with any scale, right? So this is back when Pits and Spits was probably 90% custom trailers, um, but we we did make gas grills. Um, they were only available direct. There was never, there, at that time, there was no dealer network or anything anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but we do have uh, experience in gas grills. Um, a lot of it's kind of in the, well, at that time what we called the hybrid. So an offset smoker with a couple burners in it. So you could offset smoke charcoal grill or gas grill. Um, and then even 30 years ago, kind of the original, the, the founders of the company had some uh, pretty neat little gas grill products they came out with. And man, those <laughs> things are still around. We still get calls with people that have, uh, it's pretty interesting. They'll call and they'll say, man, I bought this 30 years ago and it would cost me 800 bucks. Yeah, I want to get it fixed up. Wow, dude! Like, to get that fixed is going to cost you fifteen hundred, and it's almost <laughs> they almost fall out there, fall out of their chair at that. And it's it's interesting how that kind of that nineteen nineties number is stuck in their head at the the value or kind of what what that product should cost. I'm like, dude, gas grills from China cost twenty five hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, <laughs> this is still pretty good. Have you thought about? I remember I had uh, Joe Davidson on Oklahoma, the original Oklahoma Joe, mm-hmm. and so. Originally, he was making offset pits. He tells the great story about how he goes out to the state fair with like 20 pits, doesn't think he's going to sell one, sells all 20, and then leaves with an additional order of like 200. And now he's stuck having to fill all these orders that he didn't anticipate and builds this huge company, ends up selling it, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, he started to go back and track down those original first hundred or two hundred Oklahoma Joe offset pits that he built, started buying them back and he was sticking them in a barn. And he has a, a number of them and I know he's always still on the lookout. You ever thought about like so if this guy calls you and says he has this little gas grill and say, Hey, how about this? I'll give you eight hundred bucks back and I'll and I'll buy that gas grill and start building some kind of a pits and spits museum of sorts for the older stuff. We do, uh, we do kind of do that. So we have some of the original, uh, some of the kind of first stick burners, um, from, you know, close to 40 years ago, um, kind of squirrel away at the shop. Um, we will give credit for these older units if they're, if they want to buy a new one. We don't, we don't always, I mean, there are times where we will see something really interesting and Mm. say, you know, 500 bucks, you know, you're looking to get rid of it. We'll give you a scrap value for it. Um, a lot of times. I'm that because we have welders that have been with us for, I mean, I want to say 30 years. Like wow. It's crazy how long some of these guys have been with us. Those units will come back in. We'll, we'll refurbish them. And then those guys want them. They want to, <laughs> you know, they'll work a couple extra hours. And that's like the compensation for it. And it's mm. like, yeah, I mean, look, you were 20 years old when you built this thing the first time, of course. Like, I think that there's a lot of sentimental value there. So they, we definitely see a lot of these units, units coming back in and they end up kind of finding a new home within the, within the PNS family, which is, I think, pretty neat. Uh, from a material standpoint, are you 
seeing any slow up on anything in particular or are they ready to available? No, uh, materials are looking good. Um, we did get a notice from our carbon supplier that there's going to be um, what's pretty much a 10% increase uh, coming down the pipe with the potential for another 10% after that. Um, the, again, kind of unexplained, just, oh, the mills want to do it type mm. deal. There's no real... I, I think the the auto workers strike somehow is used as cover fire for that, but I'm like they just went back to work, so they need that steel again. Anyway, I don't know. So I don't know that that's part of the you know the the headline that those guys put out there. But then we've seen a lot of easing in uh, the stainless market, which has been really nice. Nickels coming down, and so mm. we're we for the first time since 2020 got material that was under two dollars a pound. Um, so that was really, that was really nice to see. So it's, you know, we never like to see, uh, an increase. Um, but for the most part, things have been stable. And I think after, you know, going through what we went through in 21 and 22 with the complete ramp in materials and kind of scarce, I don't want to say we're more prepared for it because all, all sorts of crazy stuff can happen, but yeah. I don't think we would necessarily um, be as caught off guard as we were. I mean, that was such a such a shock to the system that you were really just fulfilling orders at whether or not you were making money. Right? This was kind of your thing. Well, I got to stay in business, so I got to fulfill this. And I think we would have we'd be a little more disciplined now because we would know that there would be light at the end of the tunnel. Let me circle back to the gas grills here just for a second. What kind of a a line or lines would you have? So right now we're contemplating a, uh, a, a four and five burner um, setup. So probably a five burner is going to be kind of the 36 to 38 inches wide. Um, four burner is going to be more of that 32, 34 inch wide, which is actually a lot of BTUs for those sizes. So, I mean, they're 25,000 BTUs of burner. So you're looking at, 75 to, you know, what was that? 50,000, um, four times 25. That's a hundred thousand. A uh, hundred thousand. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my math is not very, I, I, I didn't know we were doing math tonight. Anyways, they're pretty, uh, pretty high BTU, uh, output units. Um, so I, that's, we, we want them to get hot fast and, you know, and, be fun to use and easy to use. Um, again, I think we're, we we want to be we want to make sure we're thoughtful and careful about it, and that we're that we're differentiating ourselves. And so we're going to be using heavier material, right? We're we're talking like twelve gauge stainless, and it's kind of the typical pits and pits deal where it's all welded and it's all you know it weighs a couple hundred pounds or a few hundred pounds, and it's not wow. like a you know we don't we don't use bending and rivets to kind of give us the structure that a lot of these lighter end gas grills do right like it's like a you could drop this off the back of your truck and you wouldn't really you may find, get a scratch but you're not going to bend it up yeah um and so that's that's our approach to it and i think we we want it to be dual use so um we want it to be a very good griddle and a very very good griddle and a very good grill so it it, it may not be a you know the leader of the pack in the, in the market, um, in either of them, but it's, we want it to be kind of top, 
top three, top five in both functions. I'm seeing this pop up in the instant chat from a couple different folks. I probably know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you building the gas grill or are you bringing stuff in and just assembling in Texas? So the burners and valves, we, we, we purchased from a gas grill company that we have you know a relationship with but as so far we've we've built them at our shop i mean it's kind of our typical stuff right and if we we build it in-house and if we were to have it third party to have have portions of it done third party we have a production partner here in houston that has a hundred or hundred fifty thousand square foot facility that they can actually help us augment our production so it's mm. 10 miles from our shop uh you know, if, if we need to contract it out, but that would be based on demand and volume. And so that's, we're, we're a long ways from that, but that is, uh, something we had to figure out during COVID kind of in like a doomsday scenario. Of mm. If all of our guys are shut down, how do we grow or I'm sorry, how do we exist? And, uh, so we have those guys as a domestic and Texas option in Houston, Texas specifically option. Um, but we're planning to do it in house. Let's make sure that whenever that get ready to launch, uh, we have you back on so we can talk about it. And then, of course, uh, any sure. other new stuff that you have coming on, love to have you back in. Uh, Ryan Zaboral joining us here on the show. You can go to pitsandspits.com slash show and check out everything that they have to author. Ryan, always appreciate the time here, and we will talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. We got it. Ryan's Zaboral from Pits and Spits. And yes, I mean, as soon as I hear gas grill, uh, maybe some of you purists are wanting to take a dump all over that. But I'm like, let's bring on the great gas grills, not the cheap gas grills, but I'm okay with a great gas grill. You know, Pits and Spits is going to bring, no pun intended, the heat when it comes to the gas grill stuff. And for those of you wondering, this isn't a Chinese parts shipped in and then they're putting it together. This is American made stuff. Spits and spits, man. Heath Riles is in the green room. He's ready to go. Before we get to him. Talking to you about Franklin Barbecue Pits. Also, all-American made, right? The backyard version of the famed pits built by Aaron Franklin for his renowned barbecue restaurant in Austin, Texas. Franklin Barbecue. Built for those barbecue purists who want to take their craft to the next level. What you have with the Franklin Pit is a deeply thought out and refined version of the old propane style cooker that Aaron builds for Franklin Barbecue. Stylistically, it reflects the kind of bare bones, industrial handmade aesthetic that he loves, as in the patina and the way the build allows you to see the welds and the craftsmanship. Now, the schematics of the Texas offset, relatively simple. I think we can agree on that. Even if what's happening inside reflect complicated dynamics of physics and chemistry, very few moving parts, numerous and massive differences, however, that divide the Franklin pit from a lot of the other stuff in big box stores. Cheap smokers made from thin metal. Not only does cheap material tend to warp and crack when sustained that kind of heat, need to make great briskets, but especially on a cold day, the thin metal just sheds heat, struggles to maintain a consistent temperature. The Franklin pit made of 5 sixteenths and quarter inch American made steel that's strong. Anything that sees heat engineered to be incredibly solid and should last a century or more cared for properly. 
Franklin Pits can be found at barbecue specialty stores in select regions of the country. If you, the listener, are an owner of such a store and you wish to become a certified Franklin dealer, visit the website franklinbbqpits.com and feel out the feel or fill fill out the dealer form. If you, the listener, want to own a Franklin barbecue pit and you are in a part of the country that doesn't offer a certified Franklin dealer nearby, you can offer and view them at franklinbbqpits.com for purchase. By the way, and this never happens, Franklin Barbecue Pits on promotion. Save up to $400 between now and the end of the year if you purchase a Franklin Barbecue Pit from either a certified Franklin dealer or from Franklin's website, franklinbbqpit.com. That's right. Save 400 bucks. So go to the certified dealer, say, just listening to the Barbecue Central show, and they said I get 400 bucks off of this one on the floor, or send them an email over on the website. Make sure you're saving your $400. 400 bucks. I like to save 400 free dollars. I'm sure you do too. Once again, the website, franklinbbqpits.com, and save 400 bucks now until the end of the year, so uh, just under a month. We're going to revisit with Heath Riles in just one second. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. And we thank Ryan Zaboral for joining us the last segment. Pitsandspits.com. Helping me close the show tonight is a guy who's been around the barbecue game a long time. Many consider him to be one of the best competition pitmasters out there. He has seen success at Memphis and Bay, Memphis Barbecue Network, Kansas City Barbecue Society, and others. Also, a successful line of barbecue products, growing YouTube channel. Also has a barbecue podcast called Shoot the Cube, which can be found on all podcast platforms. Certainly, I'm talking about Heath Riles. Heath, we have a YouTube poll question of the week that I want to ask you before we get into the rest of the stuff here this evening. And I'm asking everybody this. Even if money was no factor, you would prefer prime over Wagyu beef, yes or no? I would used to say I preferred Wagyu, but now I think I prefer Prime. All right. Well, minute over minute, it seems to be pressing back to almost 50-50, but currently the YouTube voting public at 53% says no, they would not prefer Prime over Wagyu. They would like to take the Wagyu. 47% of us, I'm with you, by the way. All the guests, by the way, tonight have said they would prefer Prime over Wagyu. Anything in particular? Is it just a, can it get a little too much? Uh, yes, a little too much, a little too fatty. Uh, meaning as in, I actually stopped eating red meat for about eight months. You when did? I was diagnosed with diverticulitis, yes. Oh, wow. And... um and so that was a couple of years ago, and I actually lost about 100 pounds. Um, and so I've kind of been dieting ever since, and I try to watch my red meat intake. But the Wagyu, I can tell you, does kind of 
I'm not going to say mess with my stomach, but I know when I eat it. A lot has changed since the last time you were on the show, Heath. I believe it was March of 2016 since last we spoke, if you can believe it. You've gone through an entire rebrand, had a really good look at winning Memphis in May two years ago with ribs, no, no less. Started a YouTube channel and a podcast. So let's talk all about it. And let's run it back a bit. Start with the rebrand. I had a number of people that uh, heard the promotion you were going to be on the show tonight and were like, oh, we, we want to know the story of what happened to Victory Lane and why you go into Heath Ryle's barbecue. So let's start there. Why the rebrand? Honestly, it was just time. Um, you know, I developed all these products and had them out. And my partner at the time, our so-called partner, he liked to live a different lifestyle. Uh, he partied a lot. And uh, that that's kind of the common thing in the Memphis uh, barbecue uh, area here, right? And so I just wanted to get more serious about it. And his far-fetched ideas kind of just got way more out there. Uh, was I did not want to get into the restaurant business, and he did. I had done some uh, restaurant stuff before just as uh, as a managing partner on some ventures and some barbecue stuffs and always sold rub to restaurants over the last 20 years. And uh, it's just not something I wanted to do. He wanted to go a different route than I did, so I took my products and rebranded them under my name. And I was actually in the middle of rebranding, and I seen Famous Dave and Sweet Baby Ray in Chicago. And uh, they convinced me to change it to my name. And it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Why didn't you start out as Heath Riles Barbecue? Why didn't I? Yeah. Honestly, didn't have the finances at the time. <laughs> and at the time, I mean, I could have went really small. Um, and I had somebody that said they would pay all the bills and everything else if we could just not call it my name. And that was kind of hard to walk away from, <laughs> I'll be honest, especially as expensive as things had gotten, uh, you know, cooking Memphis in May and things like that. How big of a task is the rebrand itself? Well, for me, I had all my products down pat, so it was just uh, the honestly redoing the labels mm. is was the hardest part. And it took about eight weeks of constant redesign and tweaking and moving and, you know, just all that kind of stuff with logos. And then the thing after that was getting the website built. And so uh, that, of course, was a headache in itself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we have a good website now, but it's like everybody's website. You're always wanting to do more and more and more to it. I assume you end up divorcing the partner and you got to tell them, hey, I'm not only am I leaving, but I'm taking all these great products away too. Was there any animosity at that point, or was it a pretty amicable breakup? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, it, it started out like it was, but he very soon found out that he did not uh, have any of the recipes. That all the NDAs were in my name. All the he didn't come up with anything and do any of that. Hmm. And so he was just uh, had the crazy notion that that would be his. So he's. He's tried to do some catering and stuff like that, and I think he's got a little catering spot, but he don't work it himself. Um, he's not that type of guy. He's not a worker. Have you seen quantifiable results after the switch, or was it more to have branding consistency over time as you also would introduce new products? Um, 
you know, it was a pretty easy conversion because everybody kind of knew who I was anyway mm-hmm. and knew me. I mean, it, we never, in the beginning, I never built a team Facebook page up. I always posted on my personal page, and that was nothing. I wasn't meaning to do that or anything like that. It's just the way that it, it turned out. And uh, I'm kind of glad that it did. And uh, I actually had to turn down Barbecue Pitmasters in the middle of all that. Um, I was in Hollywood filming a commercial for Bank of America then uh, that we got casted on. And so all of it kind of worked out good. I'm glad that I didn't go on that show now under mm-hmm. a different name. Yeah, right, because that could have been a whole situation because that stuff gets replayed to this day. It does. It was actually on earlier, and I was sitting there thinking about that, that, uh, you know, a lot of people are still getting paid off of that show. How many products do you have for sale right now? Uh, currently 22, and come December wow. the 4th, it will be 25. Wow, adding three. Three, we're coming out with a line of glazes. I've made them for about the last eight years, seven, eight years mm-hmm. in uh, contests, glazing up whole hogs and shoulders and ribs. And and finally, I've decided to finally launch them after enough people and enough interest. And now that we've built up enough, big enough brand that I feel like we needed to add them to the portfolio. What's the most popular product in the line right now? Uh, it goes back and forth. We really don't have a... Uh, a set it goes back and forth between like three or four products believe it or not and they're all dry rubs be my garlic jalapeno garlic butter my competition rub or uh, my honey rub do you sell those as like the popular package are they like a combo anywhere on the website we've yeah we do have some combos on there and we've got some build your own bundles where you Mm -hmm. save money and um Really, the garlic butter and garlic jalapeno, the the all-purpose type rubs, have really been, a, um, I say, the leaders of the pack. The barbecue rubs really perform well during the key months of barbecue season. But a lot of people use the garlic butter and garlic jalapeno at home every day. Mm. It's not just your, your weekend rub. Out of the 22, soon to be 25 products, have there also been ones that have seen their day in the sun but have since gone into retirement you've removed them from the offering portfolio no i have not removed anything yet oh um i've not uh everything's been been pretty decent if i could honestly pick on anything it would probably be my hot rub i probably shouldn't have called it hot rub it's more of a of just a good all-purpose barbecue rub it's really not spicy at all got a little bit of heat to it but that's really the only i'm not going to say regret something that i shouldn't uh name that should have changed that can you rename it uh, yeah and i will uh eventually i think i will um and of course i'm not going to say that i won't end up dropping a couple more because it's gotten to the point now all about volume and if you're not moving multiple truckloads a year it's kind of not worth me messing with um you know how's that butter bath and soak doing it's uh it's right up there with those other four products to be mm. honest with you ben ben's it's one of the only products like that in the country um it, you know a dehydrated version of your normal rib wrap stuff basically and you reconstitute it you know in memphis i try to develop something i really got hot and heavy on ribs and we were cutting all the ribs down to about 12 bones and 
weighing them and getting them down to, you know, two and three quarter pounds exactly. Mm. And so I wanted to be really consistent. And every time you go to grab a handful of brown sugar or squeeze honey, you never didn't know how much you were doing. So I developed that product to be sure that I was only putting like three quarters of a cup per slab, you know, and I was going to have consistent flavor throughout. Uh, and it just made me, I feel like it made me a better cook. That's easily the most impressive product I have seen anybody do. I don't know if I've seen anybody look, you look around, everybody's got a rub, a glaze, this and that. There's a lot of similarities amongst lines, depending on whoever your favorite is. You can typically find something that's comparable to whatever this guy's got or that guy's got. But I don't know anybody else that has this butter bath that you thought about. And uh, I've tried it many times, big fan. And you're right. I just did ribs on Sunday, and I'm grabbing a handful of this and a squeeze of this. And I'm sure one rack to the next rack wasn't nearly as consistent as it could have been if I would have used the butter bath. I mean, it's, it's just uh, any reason why nobody else is on that? Like, do you have that uh, IP locked down for in fear of law or suing? <laughs> I mean, I do have some stuff locked down, but yeah. at the end of the day, when it comes to recipe development, there really is no key to locking anything up. As you know, anybody can run out here and say, oh, I have the, the best uh, rub and uh you know sales really don't uh say that so uh anybody can go out to a co-packer to most co-packers and have something match but at the end of the day they're going to charge you more for it uh you're not going to be able to have a good margin with it and we see every day a, a person come out with a new rub and a new product or a new barbecue team launch a new rub mm -hmm. after we know they've used somebody else's rub all season long and and you see what they do. They go out and try to match those three rubs they've been using, you know, of different people to create their own. Nothing wrong with that. But a lot of people don't understand that's a long road to get to where a lot of us are at. So what's been the growth strategy for you in the business over the last five years? Uh, honestly, don't pay any attention to what anybody else is doing. Put my head down and just go to work. And uh, we work five and six days a week sometimes. And uh, we try to put out a video every week. And we have for the last, what, four or five years consistently every week. And then we added the podcast uh, kind of last year. And so that put it's putting out two pieces of content. And then I started adding a piece of short form that started putting out three pieces of content. And it just kept snowballing. And I kept adding to the team. And now we're up to 10 employees wow. and uh, trying to interview to hire more, uh, you know, and it's just been a incredible ride. And if I had to document the whole thing, I don't know if I could because it's happened, you know, with me really not paying attention to everything. What are the big accounts that you get into? I mean, if you're hiring or if you have a, a staff of 10, 11, 12, whatever it is. And you're doing something right, but what have been the key successes to help you continue to build and continue to, to make a small business of your own? Well, I was in the beer business in my previous uh, career, and I was there almost 13 years. And doing that and working with some of the grocery stores and being involved with some of the negotiation tactics and some of the deals, uh, like I handled all of Bill Street, uh, which is all the bar side. Yeah. And just being able to negotiate those types of deals with those types of people and sit in boardrooms at a younger age and, um, 
you know, network with certain types of people, I, I think that it made it easier for me to be able to deal with some of these people that I deal with now. And where a lot of people go out and use a lot of brokers to go out and sell their product, I am the salesman. I mean, with my name on the bottle, uh, it's not hard when you're talking to me and, you know, a Kroger buyer or a Walmart buyer or whatever, uh, you know, comes that has questions. It's real easy to answer those. The way I understand it or the way some folks have regaled me with story on their success and they're using brokers is you're foregoing what you're doing in order to team up with a broker because they have the connections. So am I understanding correctly saying maybe you're luckier or not luckier, but you just happen to have business connections that a lot of these other folks don't. So you can leverage them that way. Also keep your margin with you doing it direct versus having to bring on a broker in order to get these introductions made. That's right. And, and we go out all the time and we let the numbers do the talking is what I like to say. Hmm. Now that we've been in retail for about five years, um, you know, in certain accounts and we, we usually have gained at one to two big accounts every year. Uh, we just picked up Lowe's national, uh, back last year. Um, uh, we just closed uh, Snooks, just got their first order. I'm looking over at my board over here. Uh, Ingles be the first of the year. I mean, I, I've got a whole list of, of store chains. Some has reached out to us. Some we've reached out to. And in the past few months, I've just hired a VP of sales, and she's doing very well so far with some of the uh, people she knew. And um, we do have a couple brokers that work for us, but uh, it's just in situations to where – the retailer makes you use a broker. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the the rub and products business in the next couple of years? The way I have it lined out right now, easily double to triple where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, if we continue to do our job. And uh, I guess what I mean by that is we have to continue to put out videos. We have to continue to, to, uh, put ourselves in front of people in the uncomfortable positions uh, to sell that product. And, um, you know, I like to tell people it's easy to get it on the shelf. It's harder to get it off the shelf. Just because somebody sees it in a store, if they don't know your brand, you know, you really have to be hitting on all cylinders. And right now we're hitting on YouTube, of course, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, uh, everything we can. Uh to try to sell some rub. When you talk about YouTube, talk about podcasts, let's we'll start with YouTube first. Are there any folks that were inspirational to you or that maybe you even model your style after in order to see the YouTube success? Um, you know, I've been friends with Malcolm since, oh Lord, in the late 90s, I guess, is when we met one another. Uh, and Ben's, we live, we've always lived within 20 minutes of each other and we've always seen each other and hung out and been great friends. And so seeing Malcolm do the videos and the barbecue pit guys and seeing other brands, uh, do that, you know, and being involved with the NBBQA over the years and everything else. It was, uh, when we started really selling rubs and developed our own website, I knew that we had to start doing videos. That was the only way we were going to sell product. And uh, we started out just me and my wife and honestly went over to Malcolm and Rochelle's and Rochelle taught my wife how to edit the videos (laughs) and all that kind of 
we'll give her kind of a crash course on it, you know, in a couple hours. And, uh, and it's been downhill ever since. Now we have editors on staff and uh, video people on staff and all that. And so all I do is show up and gather all the ingredients up and go to cooking and they film it. What about on the podcasting side? Why do you decide to get into that? Well, I'm not going to say I was burned out on doing cooking videos, but it's kind of hard to put out that amount of cooking videos a week that sure. you really need to have your face seen. And so I'm a really big, uh, I love talking to people and hearing people's stories kind of like you do. And so I thought if I started a podcast and just kind of me be me and just kind of pull on certain guests and talk about their competition barbecue or their business or whatever, it would just be fun. And, uh, so far, my wife is kind of after the first couple of podcasts, she's kind of joined on there and she's a really shy person, which is really shocking <laughs> um, until she's had a couple drinks in her and then she's pretty good. Yep. You know, so I tell anybody, if you watch a podcast that we filmed at 930 in the morning versus one after lunch, you can see two different people there. She's a lot more open and engaging. And, and so we're still learning and we're just having fun is basically all we're doing. Uh, and so being able to gather uh I don't know who was told me this, but said you could get over 20 pieces of short form content off of one podcast. Sure. And so when I was told that, I was like, okay, we're starting a podcast over the equipment. It was just that whim of a decision. I threw my credit card on the desk, my social media manager, and he ordered everything off Amazon. And we just went to, you know, doing it. And now we've had to buy better equipment and steady change out stuff as we go. And I'm sure you know how that is. It's a growing, uh, business for sure what's the hardest challenge doing a podcast trying to make sure you keep your listeners engaged asking the right questions to your guests and um trying to be i guess somewhat funny at the same time being entertaining <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's exactly right what's the biggest mistake people are making at home cooking briskets Pulling it too soon. I mean, I feel like I'm not resting it long enough. Uh, I think that's a, a, a mistake a lot of us make. Uh, and it's not just competition barbecue people. Everybody's always in a rush to eat, right? Mm -hmm. We all know that. And I think that's why hot and fast has gotten so popular over low and slow because everybody's in a hurry in today's society. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but we're all just so busy. And so I done a cooking video today with a prime rib and I had to let it rest 30 minutes before I sliced it. It was just one of those. If I don't, I knew what the reaction was going to be. And it's kind of like those brisket, you know, the longer you hold it, the better it's going to get. Mm. What's the bigger news item in 2023 Memphis and may leaving Tom Lee park and the associated damage charges that went along with it or the scoring fiasco at this year's American Royal. I'm going to say the that would be a hard one to call, and I'm probably going to catch some grief for this. But I would probably say the KCBS scoring fiasco because the Memphis and May thing is not a – it wasn't new to me. I knew what was going to happen. Oh, really? Um, I, but wait, hold I on. Mean, hold on a second. It sounds like you might have a, an inside track here, so let me ask a question. You're just speculating. We'll just get all the legal stuff out of the way. From what I read and understand, and I've been covering this thing ad nauseum because uh, at least from the uh, Memphis River Parks partnership 
point of view. They were pretty free in giving out information when they were asked for it. And the way I understood it, and the CEO of MRPP actually replied back to a post of mine on LinkedIn when I said, well, why would you build a park that obviously seems like it's going to be no use for a barbecue contest and it could only sustain substantial damage given the way it was done? And she replied back and said, you, what you don't understand is uh, Memphis and May Festival was brought in on this. Their operations guy sat in on the planning. Everything was built per their spec. And this is what they have. So this is not something that should be new to them. They were the ones that wanted it like this. Does that sound right? No, that don't sound right to me. Um, you've got everybody from Memphis and May that's been in Memphis their whole life. And you have Carol Coletta that's a St. Louis resident that lives in Memphis that was hired to do a job here. And so that's just my, I don't know the lady, never met her. Uh, I think I seen that post on LinkedIn, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but I'm not going to say I have an inside at Memphis in May, but I worked downtown for many years in the beer business. And so I have a lot of inside and a lot of friends down there planning commissions and things like that. Yeah. Right. And, um, there's no way feasible for everything they've done to the park for it to ever hold a contest of Memphis and May magnitude right. in the proper way again. And my in-laws best friend works for an engineering firm. And so Memphis river parks actually, and they may not ever admit this done the plans wrong and done that. All the manhole covers and everything they had to bring in fresh dirt to raise them up over two foot. Whoa like a month before the contest. So like there were spots down from me used to the, the pass in there were probably 12 foot wide. They're down to eight foot wide. Now, seven foot wide. You can barely get a truck and big trailer down through there. Mm. And when you, as soon as you backed off the sidewalk, Memphis river parks had a, um, a person there with a camera taking pictures. And I was the second team in the park that day. And they were laying down boards to back the trailers on, on the grass with forklifts. It took forever. It took like six hours to load eight teams in the first eight teams at Memphis in May. MMRP knew that they were going to give Memphis in May those damage deposits like that because they had people there taking pictures from the get-go. And when you fill dirt up a month prior, two foot, and try to back a 30,000-pound trailer off of it, you know it's going to sink up to the axles. Yep. Nobody's ignorant, and you go to ripping water lines out when you do that, and flowers and bushes, and it just, I mean, I really hate it for the city it not been on the river anymore, but it's time for a change, and the Tiger Lane, in my aspect, is probably the best place for it uh, when it leaves the river, especially since they're building, uh, I think, three hotels right over there by it, and um I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, I've got to cook it no matter if it's on the river mm. or in Tiger Lane Park or in the damn street up here. I'm going to be there cooking it. It don't matter. Is it sustainable there? Will it eventually go to some new forever home? I've heard it's potentially unsavory neighborhood over there. You know, Memphis has, over the last 20 years, they would develop one section of the city and then they would kind of push Riff Raft out to another part of the city. And that's what they're doing in that area now, trying mm. to push that again on up. And if you go back and look at everything, kind of how they went around the, the 240 loop here around Memphis, 
and they've just now kind of pushed it all to that area has been contained. Now they're trying to push it on out. Mm. Now it kind of butts right up to it. It's a bad area uh, because the University of Memphis College is right next door. Uh, so it's not that bad of an area, right? And uh, it's uh, you, you lose the river, the feel of the river. But as far as your equipment not getting dirty and muddy and walking a long hill, and the only feedback that I've given them so far, I hope that they don't do one entrance and one exit for the mm-hmm. teams because the Tiger Lane is so big, they could have multiple entrances and exits. Um and that's really the only feedback I've given them. Uh, other than that, I just need to know who to send my check to. Heath Riles is going to be making a run for Memphis in May in 2024, of course. And were you were you happy to see the the rib streak finally get broken? Certainly, you would have rather broken the streak yourself. But I mean, as a rib guy, are you happy to see that happen? I'm very happy to see it happen. And you know, it couldn't happen to a better person. And he was actually using my butter bath. Uh, believe it or not. Of course. Um, and uh, John Wheeler, you know, partners with Melissa Cooks yeah, and yeah. Memphis Barbecue Company. And John has almost won that thing with rib. He almost beat Melissa uh, by one one thousandth of a point. She beat him. Mm. Uh, I think it was 2018, 19, somewhere up in there, whenever it was before. And so he was due for it. He was. He deserves it. John Davis, one of the best rib cooks out there. Uh, yeah, I would like to have done it, but it couldn't have happened to a better man. We're talking with Heath Riles. HeathRilesBBQ.com is the website. Heath, really appreciate the catch up here tonight, and uh, let's not let six years evaporate before we get into it again. Certainly appreciate the time. That'll work. Well, if you can drag out of Ohio, you can come on down to Memphis in May and hang out with us the whole time this All right. year. Sounds good. Let's put it on the docket. It's Heath Riles right there. So hopefully you enjoyed that segment. I know we're a little over here on the second hour, but that's all right. We'll go ahead and play a little catch up here and then we'll get on out. Before we get ready to go, I'm talking to you about who? Aladino. Yeah. Love the Corojo Reserva line. Yes, but as I told you last week, I just got a new box in of cigars, the Aladino Classics. So I've had about four now, maybe five. And I reiterate what I said last week. If you're in the medium body, medium flavor, I mean, trending ever so slightly into medium full flavor smoke, this is the one for you. I did smoke one of the new Sumatras as well limited edition. I think two guys has them. Mr. Jonathan, that's the over there. The first one, and I got it in Tauros. Wow. It was really good. Not like a normal Sumatra. This one was flavor bomb to say the least. Uh, both Honduran Puros because all the tobacco is grown in Honduras, but as opposed to the Reserva, I'm trying blends that make or are made with Corojo and Habana. Bottom line, would I take a box of Reservas every day of the week and twice on Sunday? Of course, they're my favorite. Trying out different blends from the Aroa family demonstrates their expertise in mastering hard-to-grow tobacco varieties and then blending them into a smoking experience that's second to none. As always, if you want a pair of Aladino Classics at this point, you want to try them for yourself and you want to do it on me, 
shoot me an email, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Otherwise, visit them on the website and find a retailer near you, jretobacco.com, and hook up with the Classics or the Reserva, or if you're lucky enough to find that Sumatra, because it is limited edition. You know, everybody's got to have limited edition. Pick up a box. You're going to be happy. Pick up a box of any of them. You're not going to be like, oh, why did I buy a box? To be like, why don't I buy two boxes? Let's wrap this show. Stick around. We'll be right back. Let's get back to a guy who has more experience giving you his opinion than he actually has cooking. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back, and we thank Heath Riles for joining us last segment, the extended segment, if you will. HeathRilesBBQ.com, socially at HeathRilesBBQ, R-I-L-E-S, HeathRilesBBQ. And while I never remember to do this, which is giving you the end of the show update on the poll question of the week, as we started, we shall finish. It's a 50-50 split on yes and no with the question even if money wasn't a factor, you prefer Prime over Wagyu. We end with a yes at 50%, and we end at a no at 50%, if you can believe. I don't remember the last time we started on tie and ended on tie. Deadlocked. Interesting. Well, all the way back in the first hour, we got an origin story from our pal Robert Moss. We learned all about it. Born in 1970, doctorate in literature, also a computer guy, fell in love, two sons, kids about the same age as I got. Very interesting. Second hour, Brian Zaboro pits and spits. What did we learn most importantly? Brian also sided with me on he'll take prime at even if cost is in fact over Wagyu. But more important than that, Gas Grill Line. I'm very excited about that. Can't wait to see it. Maybe I'll get my hands up. And then we close it out with Heath Riles from Heath Riles BBQ. Check him out at HeathRilesBBQ.com. A myriad of topics. Covered a lot of ground. And appreciate the extended time there from Heath. Big show planned for you next week at the third Tuesday. I believe we have a Stephen Reichland sighting. I believe there will be a West Wright sighting. Could be a Susie Bullock sighting as well, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's a Daniel Vaughn, but I think it's a Susie Bullock. And we do have somebody closing out the show next week, but I'll be damned if I'm going to remember it right off the top of my head. How do I always leave? September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Bye-bye. Sam the Cooking Guy, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Some call him a fool, some even call him a douchebag, but I say Greg Rempe is the greatest thing to happen to barbecue since caveman.